Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son and for his church. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are in a sermon series in which we've been considering the church, uh, its nature, especially we've been considering the question of the goodness of the church. And it is a good thing to be involved and engaged and plugged in to the church. It is really good for you. It's a healthy thing. It's, this has come home to me in a, it's come home to me in a, a personal way over these past uh, couple of months. Uh, many of you know that my dad, uh, my father was uh, ill and then recently passed away earlier this month. And very sad, and very sudden, uh, four months between diagnosis and uh, passing away. Uh, so very quick and uh, very sad. Uh, and it's funny, we always, it seems like now we talk a lot about processing grief, of kind of where are you in your, your I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I have observed that the, the good things that come in a moment like that really don't, they just kind of run parallel to the hard things. Like, so you're both comforted and sad at the same time. And that's been our experience. We really have uh, received uh, and felt and experienced the goodness of the church. And that has been a really bright spot for me, for my family, for um, for my mom. She, my parents were involved in a great church down in um, Orange Park, Florida. And in tangible ways, um, meals and more meals than you could shake a stick at. Uh, their presence, uh, presence, not present as an under the tree, but their presence with uh, my parents through the, um, through the sickness and then the grief has just been really, really touching. And we, uh, it's a great church. And they've experienced the warm uh, embrace of that church and the tender service from that church. And uh, I happen to be involved in a, a, a great church here as well. And uh, we have felt the same from you as we returned. We had numerous meals showed up unasked for at our doorstep. Um, and your, your cards of sympathy and condolences and your prayers for us have really really meant a lot, so thank you. And so running a parallel to this sort of sad time has been the bright spot of the church and its warm and tender care and its tender service. I wrote uh, in one of these weekly blurbs, I don't know if you get those or if you get them, if you read them, I wrote something to the effect of even if I wasn't, even if I didn't believe what the church stood for, and by the way, I do, <laughs> I think I'd, uh, I, I think I'd be, I'd plug into the church. Like, I just don't know where people go. Uh, you know, you can make it through life fine by, your own, by yourself when the sun is shining and when life is good, but where do you go when it's not? Like, what, what, where, where is your support group? I just don't know how people make it uh, outside of the church. And so I want to focus with you on the goodness of the church. And I know when I say the church, I don't, I, I've said something about my folks' church down in Jacksonville and this church here, and uh, the, the goodness of the church isn't limited to those two examples. But what I mean, the goodness of the church, I mean there's something good in most churches that occurs. 
And I, I want to explore with you the goodness of the, the church. And I want to start by asking the question of why. Why, why is the church good? Why, why is there this impulse to surround people with, uh, surround those who are going through hardship? Why is there this impulse to warmly welcome uh, folks who come in the door? Where does that come from? Is it that we're all just especially nice people? Is that what makes the church good? Well, you are very nice people. Uh, but my, my, I think that the goodness of the church is less dependent on the character of its people and more dependent on the goodness of God. And we're going to look at this passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to see God's goodness to the church. And then we're going to, I'm just going to take a few moments and explain how God's goodness to the church kind of changes, not just individually, but it changes the tenor of that entire church. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, turn with me in your service leaflet, or if you brought your Bible, you can turn there as well. The author of this letter is uh, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church that's in Corinth, thus the letter to uh, the Corinthians. And he says this, he says this to the members of that church, consider your calling, brothers, sisters, consider your calling. Now, what's that mean? The word calling has a broad usage. We can refer, refer to our jobs as a calling, that you have of a particular vocation. That's one use of the word calling. You could use the word calling to apply to some sort of specific, God called me to move to Milwaukee or Denver or something of that nature. But here, the word calling has its most general, most basic sense that God has called these people in Corinth to himself. God has called them to be a part of the church. God has called them to trust in his son. To, God has called them to become a Christian. And that's true for everyone who calls, who's, who's a follower of Christ. Yes, it is true that you made some decisions along the way. You chose to come to church this morning. You chose uh, to trust in him. You chose to follow the Lord, absolutely. But there's an equal sense in which God is also calling you through the various circumstances of your life. And I think if you are a follower of Christ, you can look back and think, yeah, there are a couple moments in my life where I could have gone any either way. And for some reason, for reasons unknown to me, I went this particular way. I, I, I chose to be with the Lord. He was calling me. It wasn't because of me. It was him calling me. And that's, that's equally true as well. It's not just all up to you, but God calling you. And I want to just look at why God called them and by implication why God calls us. Know what he says. He says, God did not call you according to any worldly standards, not because you are wise, verse 26, not because you are powerful or influential, you can also add, add wealthy. Not many of you were of noble birth. That word there for noble birth is eugenics. You meaning good, eugenics uh, meaning birth. Not many of you are from nobility. And that's how you know you're in the South. Uh, they have, you know, here they ask, what, what do you do? In the South, they ask, well, who's your family, uh, right? These 
Corinthians, they didn't have any of that. They didn't have any measure of worldly standards. Apparently they were not wise, but instead they were foolish. They weren't uh, noble birth, they were of low birth. They weren't influential, they were weak. They were low and despised. It appears that the only thing that these Corinthians had was the fact that they were in fact nothing. Nobodies. There's no worldly standard that God said, oh, that guy, Glade, I like him. He's kind of top of the class, which, by the way, I never was. Uh, but, but he looks like somebody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him. I like him. Oh, there's someone. He, they're wealthy. They're influential. They, they've got some standards of worldly success. That's the kind of guy I want, says the Lord. No. There's nothing inherent in, in you or me that the Lord says, oh, hoo, hoo, that's, they've got what I want. God doesn't love you, call you, redeem you through the death of his son because of anything that's kind of inherent in us. Let me offer an analogy, an illustration of this sort of um, indiscriminate love and call of God. So this past Friday, many of us went to a Shabbat service. This was to stand with those, uh, the Jewish community as they mourned the loss of 11 lives. So we went up here to Bethel, Bethel Synagogue. 10 or 15 of us from us uh, from this church were there. And uh, so you know the story, you know the 11, 11 lives were lost. And you, you may know this as well. Someone sent me this link, and I thought it was just the most, one of the most powerful things I've heard of in a long time. So the assailant um, was injured, uh, and it, he was uh, captured and injured during his capture. And so he was sent to a hospital to be treated. He was sent to Allegheny General Hospital. And uh, can you imagine being, uh, getting word that, that assailant is coming to your hospital to, hospital to be treated? I mean, that is a, 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 conflicting, a, a conflicting emotions that I just can't imagine. So apparently the, the president of the, the hospital heard of this, heard that the assailant who just took 11 lives is coming to his hospital. And the doctor, the president said, look, I can't ask any of my staff to care for this man. I'll, I'll care for him, all right? His name was Dr. Cohen. And Dr. Cohen, as you, Cohen, as you may recognize, that's a name with a Jewish uh, lineage, and in fact, he is a, a Jewish man. So here comes this man, this assailant, took 11 lives to the president's uh, hospital, and the, the president of the hospital is going to care for him. And while he's being cared for, this uh, assailant continues to, just to spew hateful, the most hateful things you could imagine, and still the doctor treats him. It's just amazing. And uh, if you've seen the interviews, the, the doctor is just wonderfully understated. The, doctor, the reporters ask the doctor, how'd you do it? How did you uh, block out what this man had done? How'd you block out what this man was doing at that moment? And uh, the doctor's response, he said something to the effect of, look, I'm just, I was just doing my job. If I could fill in the blanks, what he was saying was, look, it's not my, 
It wasn't my job to measure the worthiness, his worthiness, and thereby decide my care for him. To offer my services to those who I feel deserve it and to withhold my care for those who I feel like don't deserve it. His job was to cure sick people, to cure injured people. And apparently the only qualification you need to be under his care was you needed to be sick or you needed to be injured. If I could connect it back to our passage, his care, this doctor's care, was not doled out according to worldly standards. He didn't treat the wise, the noble, the influential. And in this regard, that doctor's care, his indiscriminate care for the sick patient is similar to God's calling of you and me. God chose those who were weak, or at least knew they were weak. God chose those things that were foolish, or those people who knew they were foolish. God chose, who did God choose, call to himself? He called sick people who knew they needed a doctor. He called sinners who knew they needed a savior. And one of the, not the only, but one of the, the chief prerequisites of following Christ is that you know that, that you know that there's nothing in you to commend yourself to him, that you are a sinner saved by grace a patient in need of a cure. There's an old saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And all these worldly standards of influence and good family and wealth, they simply have no bearing. In fact, they could be an impediment to your relationship with God. God is not looking for those things. Instead, he is looking for people who are looking for him. People who know that they cannot do it by themselves. And so those people who know they cannot do it by themselves, those people who call out to God for help, God is faithful to help. And so we read in verse 30, uh, for the weak, for the lowly, for those nobodies who call out to God in faith, become all those things they are not. They become wise. They become righteous sanctified and redeemed. None of us is righteous on our own, but somehow as we call out to Christ in faith, his righteousness is credited to me, and I am those things which I'm not naturally. And the Apostle Paul tells these people, remember, remember, consider your calling. It wasn't because you were tops. It wasn't, it wasn't anything in you that compelled God to call, to die, to redeem you. It's not your nobility, your wisdom, your superiority by any earthly measure, but only his indiscriminate, freely given, gracious love. Now, that's an interesting word. Consider it. Ponder it. Because here's the deal, if we forget it, if we forget why we are called, it starts to erode the goodness of the church. If we forget that it's nothing in us that, call, that compelled God to call us to himself, 
it begins to erode the goodness of the church. And so far on our time remaining, I want to point out two very simple, very basic things that I really appreciate about the church. And I want to show us how these two very important basic things are all connected to how God has treated you and me. And the first thing I like about the church is that it should be kind of like the breakfast club. Just one smile. That's all I got. The Breakfast Club, 1980s. The plot of the Breakfast Club class is there are six people. There's a jock. There's a prom queen. There's a, uh, who else? There's a a, a geek. There's a uh, bad boy. And there is a loner, right? And they all get detention, and they all go to their, their Saturday detention. And uh, at, by the end, it's a great John Hughes. I don't know. I've never watched. I've, I haven't watched it recently, so this may not come with pastoral uh, full endorsement. There may be some. <laughs> but by the end of the cla- by the end of the detention, they come to realize that uh, you know there, there's more that unites them than divides them. To, to quote a bumper sticker, right? The, they, they realize that the the jock. His life isn't perfect. He, the, the prom queen, her life isn't perfect. The bad boy, uh, you know, he's a bad boy because of his family of origin or something of that nature. And so they have a great big group hug at the end of the movie. And, you know, the, the final scene, the guy's walking across, uh, and they say, they write to the uh, principal, and they say, uh, Dear Mr. Vernon, you want... You see us as you want to see us. You see us in the simplest terms, most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. uh, Sincerely yours, the Breakfast Club. So here's the point. Why is a church like the Breakfast Club? Because the world has its own means of categorization. And these categories that existed in high school, they by no means have disappeared from the life of adulthood. You have a category and you categorize others. If you think that categories no longer exist, just get on an airplane and you'll walk by first class. And first class will have their drinks and they'll look very relaxed. And you, if you're like me, will walk back with all the rest of the proletariat and they'll pull the curtain. And that curtain will remind you that there are those, and there's the rest of us. (laughs) These categories are still very much in play. We all have our way of delineating between the haves and the have-nots, the cool and the not cool. The world categorizes those who are wise and powerful and influential, who have wealth and have a noble birth. Get used to it. But the gospel, the goodness of God, erodes all that because none of those things have affected his calling of you. In other words, there's no first-class seating in the church. But there's a funny thing happening in this church in Corinth, and that funny thing is that cliques are beginning to develop. Little pockets of people who follow this guy or follow that guy. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Another funny thing is happening. You can see it in the 7th chapter. There's beginning to be a little preferential treatment. The worst type of pastoral discrimination, and that is wealthy people are being treated differently than poor people. 
So the wealthy people, if you're wealthy and you kind of give to the church, and you get to come to a communion first. Those with have-nots, they kind of wait at the back of the bus. That's happening in this church, the church in Corinth. What's happening? Why is this happening? Because the standards of the world are being imposed upon the church. And it is eroding the goodness of the church. Do you see that? I hope so. Worldly standards, those who have, those who have not, those who have influence, those who, those who by the worldly standard, by worldly standards, have something to offer are being... Uh, They have their own little group, and it's eroding the warm, welcoming embrace that every human being should feel as they walk into the doors of a church. Worldly standards have very, should have no bearing on your standing in the church. Your primary identity is not wealth, marital status, age, power, influence, political party. Your primary identity as you become a member of this church or a member of any church is that you are simply a sinner saved by grace, a doctor, or pardon me, a patient in need of a cure. Do you see how this admonition, ponder it, consider, is so important there's a great question in the breakfast club. It's asked by the popular girl. So it's Molly Ringwald. She asked something to the effect of, uh, you know, come Monday morning, is it all going to go back to the, be the same? Are we all going to fall back to our various cliques? The cool kid's going to be over there, the loser's over there. And um, probably, right? Those, uh, <laughs> those, those identities are hard to shake. But worldly standards will have no bearing in the church as long as we remember the gospel, as long as remember, we remember that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So back to my original point, the goodness of the gospel, depend, the goodness of the church depends upon the goodness of God to the church, his indiscriminate call and welcome. Same principle applies to the impulse to serve one another uh, in the church. And from us, on a practical level, this has meant meals and, and Hundreds of meals, literally hundreds of meals that have showed up at my folks' doors uh, and, and, and our door. There's just an impulse to serve, an impulse to come around one another in, in times of grief or, or in times of, uh, there's just an impulse to serve. And what's really great about a healthy church is that, uh, well, some of you all have really impressive jobs, really important jobs. And come Sunday morning, some of you with really important, really impressive jobs are real, doing really basic things. You're handing out leaflets. You're serving in childcare. You're handing out a meal. In other words, those worldly standards, your, your, your success over here, does, it doesn't preclude you from the most basic level of service here. One of the uh, uh, popes from long, long, long time ago 
they were thinking of a title for him. He was thinking of a title for himself, and you can imagine there were some high, exalted phrases, but he chose to be called the servant of the servants of God. And if you trust in Christ, and you're a member of this church, there is no job, there's no service that is above you, and more to the point, there's no service that's below you. Wouldn't it be great if those people who were most successful by every worldly standards took the most humble jobs? That's a countercultural movement. And what does it relate to? It relates to this basic principle. Consider your calling, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So let me wrap up. What I want us to see are the things that we appreciate about the church. The warm welcome the tender care. I know those aren't very dramatic things, but they are so important. And they are so important when it matters. The warm embrace and the tender service that the church offers to its members is completely dependent upon God's care for the members of the church. The church is good, is good to one another because God is good to the people of the church. He loves you. He calls you. He welcomes you. He lays down his life in service to you, not because of any worldly standard. His love, his welcome, his service to you is freely and indiscriminately given. And as the church remembers this, we will become a church that does this to one another.